0: Lord, may that be the desire of every heart in this room, that through our lives, you would be glorified, that through our lives, the name of Christ would shine brightly, that through the testimony of the way that we live and the things that we live for, the one whom we live for, that Jesus would be exalted and magnified. We pray this, Lord, because you are worthy of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise team, thank you for leading us in our singing today. Church, good singing. What an incredible song. What a great message that we can sing together, that we can agree on together, that Jesus is worthy of all glory and worthy of all honor even from our own lives. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel in chapter two, if you will, 1 Samuel in chapter two. It seems that over the past 20 to 30 years, confidence, just generally speaking, confidence in leadership has eroded. I mean, this is true in politics. You think about the political spectrum of our day and people who are on one side or the other side, they don't trust the other leaders. And in fact, there is a widespread mistrust of those who would hold some sort of political position. It's true in the medical community as well, right? Over the course of the past several years, we've seen multiple divided opinions on what the right thing to do is and what the wrong thing to do is. We have suspicions of miscommunication or lying and everything else. We just see that there's a lack of transparency. It's true in organizations and businesses as well with corporate greed and harassment. And, and we can understand this. We know there are a lot of leaders out there who ought not be in leadership positions. A lot of leaders out there have proven themselves to be self-centered and unfaithful. Even in religious life, there have been scandals. We can, don't have to deny any of that. Even at Southern Baptist Convention where trust and leadership has taken a hit and led to various uh, investigations and revelations. Currently the Southern Baptist Convention is looking for its next president and CEO after the previous leader resigned as questions swirled about his integrity in the handling of several sensitive issues. But if we're honest These aren't new things. These aren't new developments. It's not just the past 20 to 30 years. No, there have been corrupt people in leadership for a long, long time. In chapter one, we learned of the moral decay that characterized God's people as we opened in 1 Samuel a few weeks ago. The people were doing what was right in their own eyes, they did not fear the Lord. But today we're going to see that the problem wasn't just with the populace. The problem was with the leadership of the people of God as well. That is those humans who are in positions of authority. Eli, who was seen as a judge of Israel, Judge Israel for 40 some years, also seen as a high priest and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And as you know, as goes the leadership, so goes the people. And God's people were in a terrible place. And part of that was because of the leadership who were overseeing, who were kind of tasked with the spiritual um, formation of the people of God. And they were in such a bad place that their only hope was that God himself would intervene. So this morning, we're going to see the beginning of this intervention. And we're going to see, as we look to the text, the danger of disregarding the Lord the danger of disregarding leadership. And then we're gonna turn our hearts to the promise that this chapter ends with, the promise of a faithful priest. So if you would, please stand as we read God's word together. We're gonna to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, but right now we're gonna read through verse 26. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 and reading through verse 26. 26, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, and the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, "'May the Lord give you children by this woman,' for the petition she asked of the Lord." So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of all your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is is no good report that I hear that the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. This is the reading of the word of God and may he bless it. In our presence, and you may be seated. Well, as First Samuel opens, we learn of Hannah's barrenness, which really is a microcosm, really reflecting the barrenness of the people of God, how they had rebelled against God. Hannah was desperate for God to hear her, and she prayed, she poured out her heart, asking God to bless her with a son and saying, Lord, if you'll bless me with a son, if you'll bring about this reversal, then I will dedicate my son to your service for all of his days and of course Hannah had a son the lord opened her womb and his name was Samuel and after the child was weaned Hannah brought him to Shiloh there where Eli was serving as priest the place of the tent of meeting, and she would leave him there for all his days. Now, the tent of meeting was Israel's national religious shrine. It was the precursor to what would become Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And it was there that Eli served, along with his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And the first thing we need to see from the text this morning is the danger of disregarding the Lord. The danger of disregarding the Lord. Right away, we learn that Hophni and Phinehas were worthless men. A literal translation of worthless men would mean that they were sons of Belial, a term later used to describe the evil one or to describe the Antichrist in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. These were worthless men. They were as sons of the devil. The point that the sons of Eli is that the sons of Eli were wicked and defiant. They were worthless men. The writer wants us to see that they were characterized by rebellion. And get this, they did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. The two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas who served as priests at the tent of meeting there in Shiloh did not know the Lord and the idea of not knowing the Lord points us to disregarding the Lord commentator David Samara suggests that they didn't pay respect to the Lord they didn't care about his ways Now, we learn of several ways that Eli's sons were abusing their authority and their position. Now, when I read this, we're like, well, what does all that mean? Like they're getting more meat for the fork and they're getting the fat and all this kind of stuff. We're like, well, what does that have to do? Well, God's word gave very specific instructions as to how the priests were to be fed, how they were to have their sustenance, but also very clear instructions, how they were to go about it and what portions they were to get. So first, the book of Leviticus is very clear, chapter 7 and chapter 10, about what was supposed to happen in terms of how they would get their food. Unfortunately, that's not what was happening. What had become uh, custom there was against the will of God. It was against the, the ways of God. Hophni and Phinehas were exploiting the people for more. They would send their representative to collect whatever that representative could could. And what we see is that Hophni and Phinehas were more concerned about their own gain than they were about the people that they were to represent as priests. In that sense, they were robbing the Israelites of what would be a meal even for their own family. But second, they weren't just robbing the Israelites, they were also robbing the Lord. We have this whole discussion about how the fat was being burned or not being burned and how Hophni and Phinehas would send their mobster-like representative to say, let us have that fat. And if they ever said, no, well, we need to burn the fat first, then then they would say, no, they were going to take it by force. Well, what is that all about? Why does that even matter? Well, in Scripture, we read this, Leviticus 3 and other areas, the fat was dedicated to the Lord, right? This was a, a burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering that would be fragrant in the Lord's eyes. So every all the fat was to be given to the Lord. This was a sacrifice to the Lord. But now, this was a desirable choice. This was a desirable piece of meat that had the fat to it. And Hophni and Phineas were saying, no, we want that. And it's more important that we want that than we follow the will of the Lord and give Him. Him the offering that he has. But it wasn't just liturgical sins. There was vile immorality as well. In fact, verse 22 makes it clear that Hophni and Phinehas were taking advantage of the women who served at the tent of meeting. Now, in pagan religions, you might remember this from our study in the book of Acts, they would have these temples in these cities and at those temples, oftentimes there were cult prostitutes who during the night would go down and they'd practice their trade and they would do it all in the worship of God, whatever God was being served at that temple, whatever false God was being served at that temple. And and you'll recall that oftentimes there would be a, a frenzy of immorality and they would call this the worship, this was a way that they would lose themselves in their worship of their god well that's clearly not what was going on here in fact in exodus chapter 28 it's very clear that there were ladies there were women who were who were dedicated to the service of the tabernacle who were dedicated to the service of the meeting and what's going on here is an abomination leaders hophni and Phineas abusing their power and abusing others who were under them This was not so different from what a modern-day pastor would be accused of if he was taking advantage of minors in the church or, or ladies in the church, members of the flock. It was a heinous sin, both against God and the victim. So, when the Lord is disregarded, friends, then all sorts of evils become possible. When the Lord is not known, then all sorts of evils become possible. When the Lord is disregarded, then we open ourselves up to self-deception. Friends, these were Eli's sons. Eli, who we learn will have judged the people of Israel for some 40 years. Eli, who was serving here as the priest. His sons were involved with robbing the Israelites and robbing God and now morally uh, abusing the people, the women who served there at the temple. How did they get to this place? This is unexplainable. This is unbelievable. But maybe they felt that because they had certain positions that they were above the law or they were beyond accountability. But the deception is so clear here. Friends, there is grave danger in disregarding the Lord. There is grave danger in not knowing or not respecting or realizing the Lord. The better we know the Lord, the more like we are to follow him, right? When we understand his holiness and his majesty and and his mercy and his compassion, then, then I believe we'll be more motivated to serve him and to love him. Peter says, be holy, live in holiness, right? Quoting God, Be holy for I am holy. When we recognize how great and glorious our God is and how he has mercifully called us to himself out of darkness and into light, friends, we will be motivated then to serve him In holiness, when we understand His graciousness in light of our own sinfulness, we're more likely to devote ourselves to Him. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in in, in Titus chapter two that the grace of God has appeared, and it is instructing us; it's teaching us to renounce ungodliness right? To turn from sin, right? Because God is so gracious and so glorious and so holy, God's grace in our lives is teaching us to turn from sin. And it's teaching us to live in righteousness, to live in godliness. When we understand his his character, when we understand his wrath, even his expectations, Hebrews chapter 12, that he is a consuming fire, then that all the more motivates us to worship him and friends I'm not saying that we're going to get it right every time we're not we're going to sin we're going to mess up but the problem with Hophni and Phinehas was that they were characterized by wickedness they were characterized by rebellion but friends those who are devoted to King Jesus will battle against sin They're not going to be characterized by rebellion and wickedness. The apostle John makes this clear in his first epistle, right? Over and over again in that epistle, he affirms that those who are in Christ will walk in the light. They'll be characterized by love and by truth. In chapter two and verse four, the apostle writes, whoever says, I know him, that's God, Christ, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In chapter 3 and verse 4, John writes, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. In verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. This idea of practicing sin or keep on sinning isn't about sinless perfection in our life. It's about being characterized by wickedness. It's about being characterized by rebellion. And what John is saying is that when God's grace comes into our lives, when God's Spirit fills us, then we will not continue to walk in the path of unrighteousness and be characterized like we are in the dark. No, we're going to be living in the light. We're going to be walking in the light. We're going to be characterized differently because of the power of the Holy Spirit who works in us, who changes us, who makes a difference in our lives. There is great danger in disregarding the Lord, but secondly, we see there is danger in disregarding discipline. We see the danger of disregarding discipline. So in verses 23 uh, through 25, Eli is addressing his sons. Let me just read that again. Eli says to his sons, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Theologian John Woodhouse suggests that While Eli's words to his sons were true and they were right, his appeal to them was pathetic. There's no sense of a call to repentance here. And while Eli could not change the hearts of his kids, his adult kids, and he couldn't compel them to certain practices, he did not have to let them continue in the positions that he held with contempt for the Lord. He could have removed them from that priesthood, from those positions. Under Eli, the tent of meeting had become a place of sin rather than a place to confess sin. And what is clear is that Hophni and Phinehas would not listen to the rebuke of their father. Why? Well, according to verse 25, they had become hardened in their sin and God determined to punish them. In this sense, God was giving Hophni and Phinehas over to the lusts of their hearts. He gave them over to the rebellion that their hearts so longed for and that they so loved. Even as God hardened the heart of Pharaoh during the time of the Exodus, Eli's sons, here were beyond repentance as God had given them up to contempt for himself. And some of you are thinking, well, wait, 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 that's... That's not fair. God can't just do that. What if they would have come around? What if they would have repented otherwise? But here's the truth. Repentance is a gift from God. Those who are driven by their own sinful lusts will never in their own initiative and their own desire align themselves with righteousness. Others will say, but wait, wait, wait. I thought it was never too late to repent. Well, I understand what you mean by that. But hear this. There is a time when it's too late to repent. There is no repentance after death, so we know that for sure. But even beyond that, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, Isaiah calls us to seek the Lord while he may be found, which I believe suggests that if we persist in our sin, there may come a time when God gives us over to our sin, to our lustful, rebellious sin desires just as we see here with Hophni and Phinehas and lest anyone blame God for Hophni and Phinehas's situation God doesn't make anyone sin God God doesn't cause any of us to rebel against him in fact it's his grace that causes us to turn from what our sinful natures desire and what our sinful natures long for We come to verses 27 through 34, and we see the account of this unnamed man of God, a prophet who will speak judgment unto Eli and to his household. Let me read for you verses 27 through 34. And there came a man of God to Eli, and Said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves? the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel therefore the Lord the God of Israel declares I promise that your house and your house of your father should go in and out before me forever but now the Lord declares far be it from me for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed behold the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from the altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you Both of them shall die on the same day. So this unnamed man of God begins by reminding that God had graciously chosen the forefathers of Eli to serve in that priesthood. Aaron, the first high priest, serving in this priesthood, the house of Levi to be priest before him. This was a privileged position, but clearly one here that Eli and his household had taken lightly. And some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, that's really not Eli's fault It was more his son's fault, but verse 29 makes it very clear that Eli was complicit honoring his sons even more so than the Lord. And that's how they grew fat as they robbed from the people and robbed from the Lord. And Eli would not deal with his sons. The idea that Eli honored his sons above God really points to Eli's failure to restrain and discipline his sons appropriately. Parents, don't miss this. It is our responsibility, it is our privilege to raise our kids to know the fear of the Lord. It is our privilege and our responsibility to point our kids to the direction of life in Christ. And while we cannot change our kids' hearts, it's imperative that we point them to God's glory and instruct them in the ways of the Lord to warn them of the danger of sin, the consequences of sin. Now, the judgment on Eli's house would be that the high priestly line would go to another family, that both Hophni and Finnish would die on the same day, which, by the way, we'll see in chapter four, also turned out that uh, Eli would die on that day as well. But consider What if his kids had listened to their father's discipline? What if they had heeded the warnings and turned from their sin? What if they were characterized by repentance and not rebellion? In Proverbs chapter three and verses 11 and 12 my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. These, you'll recall that this is going to be quoted later on in Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the idea of discipline is what God does for his children whom he loves. And he disciplines them for the purpose that they would share in his holiness. How can we neglect the discipline of God? How can we disregard God's discipline in our lives? Because it points us to life. It points us to sharing in the nature, in the holiness of our great God. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 5. A fool despises his father's discipline and instruction but whoever heeds reproof is prudent, verse 32. Whoever ignores discipline or instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So hear this. Parents, we have a responsibility. It's not easy, but by God's grace, and it happens in many different ways, we are to point our kids to Christ. But I also want you to hear this. Kids, all kids, look up here. Students, look up here. You have a responsibility to heed the discipline of your parents, because they are pointing you to life. They are pointing you to Christ. They are showing you that this is your only hope, that life is found in Jesus Christ. And friends, those who are devoted to King Jesus will heed discipline and long to be instructed in the ways of righteousness. And those whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus will despise sin and pursue righteousness. And don't miss the irony here. Those who disregard discipline seemingly do so out of self-love. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with that discipline. I, I love myself too much. I'd rather go my own way. I'd rather do my own thing. But what we see here in Proverbs chapter 15 is that those who despise discipline despise themselves to their own harm, to their own hurt. No, no, those who are devoted to King Jesus will long for discipline, will be trained by it, will be changed by it. Church, respond to truth and faith and repentance. Respond to God's word with a humble heart. And follow what he says. Finally, this morning, I want us to see the promise of a faithful priest. The promise of a faithful priest. Let's look at verses 35 and 36. The man of God, speaking for God to Eli, says, And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So again, there is a judgment on the family of Eli, or the, that the thing that were they're not being removed fully from the priesthood, but from the high priestly line. But they're going to see their suffering. Now, the first thing to note about the promise of this faithful priest is that God is not leaving us to ourselves. He's not leading us to corrupted leadership. No, he himself will step in and he will provide for us. He will give to us a faithful priest who will be faithful to do all that is in the heart of God and all that is in the mind of God. And God is gracious and he does what he says. Now, if we look back through this chapter, chapter two, what we see is several different verses that point us to how God's hand was on Samuel's life. We saw that as we ended last week in Hebrews, excuse me, in, in, sec, in 1 Samuel chapter two, verse 11. But we also saw that in verses 18 through 21 as Samuel is growing in favor with God and he's wearing the ephod and he's serving in the capacity. And, and in verse 26, we see that Samuel is presented as one whom God is with, whom God is preparing even. He is the anti-Eli. He is the anti-Hophni, the anti phineas so it's natural for us then to wonder is samuel the priest that god will raise up is he the fulfillment of this prophecy and this promise well perhaps samuel does play the role of a priest in some ways he offers sacrifices wearing the garment of a priest even at a young age but he's also said to be the last judge of israel and a prophet of god as well others argue that no this actually is a reference to a guy named zadok Zadok served under King David, the anointed one, King David, but also he would serve under Samuel as a high priest. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 2, the expulsion of a priest named Abiathar, which is connected to the fulfillment of the prophecy on the judgment on the house of Eli, these were moved. And Then in verse 35, Zadok is said to take the place of Abiathar as the priest under Solomon. And while either of these two men may fulfill the promise of God in part, there is a greater fulfillment. The greater fulfillment is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who faithfully carries out the prophet, the role of prophet, priest, and king. Of Jesus it's written, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus dies in our place. Jesus, the Lamb of God, offering his own life to appease the wrath of God which remained on sinners. As priest, Jesus mediates between God and man as Jesus is the God-man. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, consequently, Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the role of a priest, the one who prays for, the one who goes between God and the people. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He's the one who advocates on our behalf before the Father. Friends, in the study of 1 Samuel, three characters are going to stand out as prominent. Samuel, Saul, and David. But if we don't look beyond those three characters and fix our gaze on Jesus, then we're going to miss what God has for us in this study because jesus is the true king because jesus is the faithful priest that god raises up he is the perfect prophet who speaks god's word who's who in his mouth is the word of god and does all that is according to the will and the heart and the mind of the father the one who through his life death and resurrection we have restored relationship with god today If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, know him and regard what he says. Humble yourself before him and confess your sin. Such is the posture of those whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus. Finally, believe his promises. Live by faith in what he says. Live by faith in who he is, for he will accomplish his word. And the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate proof. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, please understand that in your rebellion, God's judgment is upon you. There is no hope for life apart from faith in Christ. There is only certainty of hell and eternal death. In your sin, you're missing the mark of God's holiness, of what he expects and what he demands. And there is great and eternal danger in disregarding the Lord today. Will you humble yourself, will you turn from sin, and will you turn to the true king and cry out for his grace and his mercy? Receive forgiveness and the hope of eternal life even today. In just a moment, we're gonna transition to a time of reflection and worship and surrender. If you have questions about what it means to follow Christ, if you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with the one true and living God and have the hope of forgiveness of sins and eternal life, Come, let us, let us connect with you. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you're online and you're watching and you have questions about that, fill out that connect card and write a note there that says, I wanna know more about what it means to have forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. Maybe there's some here who want someone to pray with them and we would love to be able to connect with you and pray with you. Maybe you are interested in baptism or church membership and we would love to be able to connect with you and, and share with you uh, the process of what that looks like and what that means. There's no question that God is at work. The question is, what is God doing in your life right now? And how will you respond to what God is doing? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, which is powerful. Thank you for the testimony that you are faithful and that you are good and that you have raised up the faithful priest, Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, conquering sin and grave forever thank you for the life that is found in him and I pray that even now your spirit would turn and tune our hearts to you God do these things in our lives we pray for your glory for our good amen would you stand and respond as God leads